Good morning, and thank you for joining us once again for our Sunday worship service. As we begin today, I'd like to share with you two points for prayer. First, I'm sure that the majority of you listening today have already heard about the terrible news of the coronavirus-related deaths that have been taking place in Quebec nursing homes over these past weeks, as well as hearing of other similar cases in seniors' care homes um, all across the nation and indeed around the world. And so, of course, we're very thankful here in Killarney and specifically uh, at our Bayside Personal Care Home that it has not been hit. And however, in light of of the risks and the, the landscape of which the world is in at the moment, we have been asked by Bayside if the Clarny Ministerial would be willing to come and have a special time of prayer for Bayside, for its residents, and for its staff. And so this coming Wednesday on April the 22nd, uh, myself and the other pastors in Clarny, we will be going and having a special prayer time, of course, outside of Bayside, but praying for them for protection, for peace, for comfort, and uh, for the staff as well as they uh, navigate these challenging times. And so what we as a ministerial would like to do is to invite you as the, the Church of Killarney to pray along with us from your homes, to specifically mark down uh, this coming Wednesday as a specific time of prayer for Bayside, and for, especially for the residents. Uh, they're in a very isolated and lonely time right now as no visitors are allowed, and so we want to just really lift them up and emphasize prayer. So please pray along with us this coming Wednesday for Bayside. The second point of prayer I'd like to share with you is I've been asked to uh, relay this uh, as a prayer request that this past Wednesday, Marlene Harms, uh, her twin brother, his name is Mel, he, along with his wife, Lynn, were in a motorcycle accident in B.C. Uh, they were riding a motorcycle when an SUV turned head-on into them. There was a collision, and they were uh, subsequently airlifted to Victoria's trauma unit, where they've both undergone uh, multiple surgeries so far. And so please pray for healing and for God's touch on their lives. And let's also remember Marlene and Vern and their family as they go through this troubled time, difficult time, and uh, especially as they're not able to immediately go to travel there to be with them. So let's remember them in our prayers. And now finally, uh, once more to highlight for you, uh, for the offering, that we have two simple ways for you to give of your regular tithe or offering to the church. First, you can mail a check to the Clarny Mennonite Church, P.O. Box 969, Clarny, Manitoba, R0K 1G0. Or second, you can drop it off here at the church in person where an offering box is located in the church foyer. And also, just to let you know, we are working towards a means of doing online donations, and so stay tuned for more details on that. I would now invite you to bow with me, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we lift our hearts and our voices together to you in prayer. We thank you that as in all seasons and all times of life, you are in control, you are on the throne, and you have not relinquished any authority to anyone else. So thank you, Lord, that as we continue to navigate a turbulent time in the world and in our lives personally, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving, that in you we have peace, we have rest, and that you bring order into the chaos. 
And so, Lord, we continue to pray for the situation facing the world. We pray, Lord, for you to be uh, the one who would provide the solution and that you would work in such a way as to bring about uh, an end to this virus, to the spread of it, that you would bring aid to those who have been directly affected by it, that you would bring healing, uh, that you would bring wisdom to healthcare officials, to doctors, and to our government officials as they have to make very difficult decisions. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, that you would speed uh, this recovery process and give us patience as we uh, continue to look forward to, to the end of this, uh, this period. And so, Father, we as well want to lift up the residents of Bayside here in Killarney. We thank you that they have not uh, been directly affected by the spread of the virus. And so we pray, Lord, uh, for your continued protection on them. And we pray especially, Lord, for encouragement for them as they are, many uh, will be feeling isolated and lonely as we are not able to visit them regularly as we did in the past. And so, Father, we just pray for an extra special sense of your presence for them. And we pray for your protection and an extra measure of, of just uh, grace and strength for the staff as they will very, uh, in a very real way, be the family to them during this time. And so we ask, Lord, for your continued uh, blessing on Bayside, the staff, the residents, and for, uh, for your presence and protection. And now, Lord, as we uh, prepare to hear from your word, as we lift our hearts in worship to you, would you direct our hearts? Would you encourage us today? by your word, and I pray that Holy Spirit, for everyone who's listening today, uh, whatever their current circumstance is, we know we're all facing challenges right now, and so I pray, Lord, would you bring hope, would you bring encouragement, and would you bring strength for each one of us to face the challenges of each day and the uncertainty of the days ahead. And so we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 8. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 8, and there we read an account from the life of David. Now David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength and encouragement in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So far, the reading of God's word. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and that it is a living and breathing word and that it can be a source of daily encouragement for our souls and for whatever circumstance we are facing. And so I pray that it would be that for us today. I pray that you would speak through me, your servant. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Now, I've entitled this sermon today, Encouraging Yourself in Troubled Times. J.K. Gresset writes about a man named Samuel Skull, who settled on a farm in the Arizona desert with his wife and children many years ago. One night, a fierce storm struck with rain, hail, and high winds. At daybreak, feeling sick and fearful of what he might find, Samuel went out to survey the damage. The hail had beaten their garden and fields into the ground. The house was partially unroofed. The hen house had blown over and been smashed into a thousand pieces. Dead chickens were scattered about the yard. Destruction and devastation were everywhere as far as the eye could see. Samuel stood there, completely devastated by what he saw. And for a long time, he just stood there, mouth hanging open, completely stunned, staring at the wreckage and considering what this all meant for his family's suddenly very bleak future. And as he considered this, suddenly he heard a stirring sound coming from within the wreckage of the hen house. And he looked closer, and then he saw his old rooster's head come poking up out of the wreckage. This was followed by a furious flapping and clawing sound until that old rooster finally managed to claw and struggle itself free. But the rooster didn't stop there. After freeing itself, it then kept right on climbing up that wreckage until it had reached the highest board in the pile. And there that old rooster perched, dripping wet, scratched and bloodied, with almost all of his once proud feathers gone. But then, just as the sun poked up over the eastern horizon, that old rooster lifted his head to the sky and proudly crowed to mark the beginning of the new day. And to Samuel's listening ears, it sounded the longest and the loudest and the most stirring cock-a-doodle-doo that he'd ever heard in his life. For it signaled to him that if that old rooster could climb up out of that wreckage and still lift up its head and sing, then with God's help, he could too. Now, just like that farmer, we too are facing troubled times. The simple fact is that the COVID-19 pandemic and the subsequent countermeasures attempting to curtail it have changed our lives drastically. And as time goes on, it is beginning to take its toll on all of us, whether that's financially, whether that's physically, whether that's mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And in our low moments, discouragement, depression, and even outright despair can begin to take its hold on us. Maybe some of you feel like that's where you are right now. Maybe like Samuel Skull, staring at the wreckage of his farm, you too are feeling somewhat stunned by what's going on. Maybe some of you have lost your jobs or the prospect of, of losing a business. And, and you're discouraged by this suddenly bleak future ahead. And so my friends, today I want to show you from God's word how you and I, how we can be like that old rooster. And not only dig ourselves up out of the wreckage, but to still 
lift our voices in song to the Lord and to thereby be encouraged and receive the strength we need to face the challenges of the days yet ahead. And so we turn now to our text. 1 Samuel 27 is where I'll point you to first as it lays the foundation for the story that we will focus on. 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. We pick up the story here with David living the life of a fugitive. He's hiding in the wilderness, running for his life from his own father-in-law, none other than King Saul, who is, of course, jealous of David's success, and he just wants him dead. And so after already managing to elude Saul in the wilderness on several occasions, here in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, we read, But David thought to himself, One of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. And so that's exactly what David does. He takes his 600 mighty men and he flees to the nation of the Philistines who, if you know anything about the Philistines, you're aware that they are the sworn enemies of Israel. In fact, David's most famous encounter that that launched him onto the world stage was killing the Philistine giant Goliath. But here he is going and joining the Philistines as a mercenary force, now fighting for his enemies. Now, this does not strike me as something that David wanted to do. It's more along the lines of desperate times call for desperate measures. In fact, the text is quite clear that David is simply trying to make the best of a really bad circumstance. Now, what David is facing is far more difficult and dangerous than something that even today most of us can possibly imagine. But even as hard as this situation already was for David, things are about to get a whole lot worse. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, we read of how one day the Philistines gather all of their forces together into one big army to go out and fight against the Israelites. However, some of the Philistine commanders they just don't trust David, and they don't, they don't believe that he's actually going to go and fight against his own countrymen. And so they send David and his army of 600 men home. But when David and his army arrives back at home, this is what they discovered. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Now let's pause right there and just try to imagine, as as much as we're able, try to imagine for a moment how those men must have felt. Take into consideration that David and his men were already dog-tired and hungry after a difficult three-day journey, covering over a hundred kilometers from the Philistine encampment at Aphek to their hometown of Ziklag. They thought that they were coming home to the welcome and warmth of their wives and their children to rest and relaxation. But instead, they come home to a shocking scene of destruction, of desolation, and of loss. Now, to all of you husbands and fathers out there, how do you think you would have felt if you were in their shoes? 
your home is destroyed by fire. Your wife and your children are kidnapped by ruthless marauders. And you don't even know if they're dead or alive. Now I suspect that our response would be very much the same to what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 4. Then David and the men with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Now, if there was ever a darkest day in David's life, at least up until this point, this is it. It was hard to love life on that day. And so, just try to imagine here, those strong men, hardened soldiers, just breaking down and weeping uncontrollably until they simply don't have any strength left to weep. Now, perhaps some of you have experienced a day like that. One where sudden loss and grief made your heart ache so violently that you just thought it would burst. One where the tears just wouldn't stop. Perhaps even one where you despaired of life itself, wishing that it could just all be over, if only to escape your pain. David was experiencing such a day. But though it doesn't seem possible, things kept getting even worse for David. We continue, verse 6. David was greatly distressed, for the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. Now remember, here, David's 600 mighty men Up until this point, they have been incredibly loyal to David. They had joined him, not when he was a king, but when he was an outlaw. For they saw in David a a man after God's own heart, a leader worth following, and they trusted him with their lives. But here, in their grief and in their anger at losing their families, they needed an outlet for their pain. They needed someone to blame, and so they aimed it at their leader. And they most likely blamed David for being the one responsible for them having left their families behind unprotected. And so in their pain and in their anger, they began to talk about stoning David to death. Now talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Here's David's situation. He's being pursued by maniacal King Saul, hiding in exile forced to side with his sworn enemies. Then his family is kidnapped by Amalekites, and now his own men are pinning the blame on him and threatening to stone him to death. I mean, what else could possibly go wrong, really? And so when the text simply says, David was distressed, it's a bit of an understatement. Yeah, David was distressed. His world was coming down around his ears. I hope that you're beginning to get a deeper sense of just the utter desperation of this dark, dark moment in David's life. If there was ever a rock bottom for David, this was it. Now when we stack all of this up, the honest fact is that most people would just be utterly overwhelmed. I would be. Most people would have just thrown in the towel and quit right then and there. But David was not most people. 
For at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, we find one of the most dramatic 180-degree turnarounds that you will find anywhere in Scripture, I would argue anywhere in world history. For here we read something utterly remarkable. Verse 6, the last line says this, But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now as hard as this is to believe, What this demonstrates for each one of us is this, that even in life's darkest hour, there is still hope. There is still a source of encouragement. There is still a source of strength, and his name is the Lord. Now, David's 180-degree turnaround was so complete so, so um, just awesome in its scope that as we continue to read the story through the rest of the chapter, we discover that not only did David find uh, the encouragement and the strength in the Lord he needed to just barely scrape himself up off the ground and, and start functioning again. And no, he became so encouraged and so strengthened that he rallies his men. They then pursue the Amalekites. They defeat them so soundly in battle that they recovered safe and sound every single wife and child that had been taken captive. Verse 19 tells us, Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Talk about a complete reversal. So let's now take a closer look at David's example and see what key principles we can learn that we can apply to our own lives so that we too can be encouraged and strengthened when facing troubled times. The first principle is this. David took responsibility for his own encouragement. David took responsibility for his own encouragement. Verse 6 says, But David encouraged and strengthened himself... In the Lord his God. Now, first, let me be clear that we as Christians are instructed to continually seek to encourage one another. So don't take this point to mean that that we can stop doing that. However, as in David's situation, there may come moments in life where you are left to face your trial alone. Perhaps even times where the very people who would normally be your source of encouragement have, at least momentarily, become the source of your trial. Remember, David's men usually had his back, but now they're talking about stoning him to death. So to whom could David turn? There was no one. And so right now, many of us are facing unprecedented times that we've never experienced before in our lives. Right now, as the, as the continued lockdown and social distancing measures imposed by our government is heading into its second month, many of us may be feeling more lonely and more isolated and more discouraged than we've ever been before. And now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in a tough spot, when I'm discouraged or when I'm struggling, or when there's some circumstance that's just staring me right in the face, I sometimes get so caught up in waiting for someone else to come along and encourage me that I forget that I have a direct and personal source of encouragement from the Lord himself. And so like David, 
I need to take responsibility to actively encourage myself in the Lord. And I suspect that oftentimes, the reason that we can stay discouraged for such prolonged periods is because we get stuck on the idea that it is always someone else's responsibility to come and encourage me when I'm down. That it's my my parents' responsibility, or it's my spouse's responsibility, or it's my friend's responsibility, or it's my pastor's responsibility. But while those can all be very good places to seek encouragement from, the bottom line is this. No one is more directly responsible for your personal encouragement than you are. David knew that. He knew that he needed to take responsibility for his own, his own encouragement in that low moment. And he does exactly that. And he goes straight to the source of all encouragement. He goes to the Lord. He goes to him alone. And in God alone, he found that encouragement and that strength he needed in his time of trouble. And so now we move on to the second principle. How exactly did David encourage himself in the Lord. Well, this leads us to our second point. David worshipped. David worshipped. Verse 6 says he strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord. So, just to be clear, this wasn't just some positive self-talk bravado that you'll hear from some motivational speaker about, you know, you gotta dig deeper into yourself for what you need you got to be nice to yourself, talk positive to yourself. You know, the secret, just speak positive words into the universe and it'll come back to you. This isn't what this is talking about here. No, this is talking about digging deeper into the Lord for what we need. For it is only the Lord who has what we need. We can't dig deeper into ourselves for something that we don't have. David didn't have within himself the encouragement or the strength he needed. That's why he needed to go to the source, who is the Lord. And the avenue of digging into the Lord is always, always through that avenue of worship. Of course, David is well known as a mighty man of warfare. His legendary entry into armed combat, of course, came as just a boy in single combat against a champion, a giant named Goliath. But before David was a warrior, he was a worshiper. And we see that from a young age. While shepherding his father's flocks, he would play his harp and sing songs of worship to the Lord. And so we see here that David didn't just get angry and just go race off into battle against the Amalekites to rescue his family. Instead, he paused to first spend time in worship before the Lord his God. And now the text doesn't explicitly say how David worshipped. But from all that we know about him from elsewhere in his life, it's not hard for us to imagine David taking his his harp and then going off somewhere alone to spend time with the Lord, singing and praying. And remember, singing and praying as we look in the Psalms isn't just ones of praise and thanksgiving. It's lament and it's giving your deepest, darkest sorrows to the Lord. And I'm sure that that is exactly what David was doing in this time of worship. And so often, when we face troubled times, our first instinct is to find our own solution. But when we attempt to solve our own issues, we run ahead of God, and we only end up making things worse the vast majority of the time. 
But when we pause and we go to God first through worship and we we lift up our hearts and our spirits to him, God will sort out our emotions, our spirits, and then set us in the right right path and the right course of action. You will find this to be the single most important principle in all of life. And it is this. Before you do anything else, worship. Worship the Lord before all else. Now, of course, you might be sitting there thinking, well, the extra challenging part is that right now we can't even go to a corporate worship service. You know, you can't come here to the building like we normally do to worship God together. So, so how? What, what do we do? Well, I want to remind you that worship isn't exclusively a corporate thing. Yes, it is awesome to sing together, to worship together, to hear the word together, to pray together. And as much as we're able, we should seek to do that. But that's not always possible as in the circumstance we face. So too for David, it wasn't possible. He was utterly alone in his circumstance. But that did not stop him from seeking the Lord in worship. A.W. Tozer once wrote, If you burn down the church building and drive away all the people, you have not disturbed Christian worship at all. Keep a Christian from entering the church sanctuary, and you have not in the least bit hindered his worship. We carry our sanctuary within us. We never leave it. And so as we learn to worship God wherever we are, in whatever circumstances, both in prayer and in praise, it realigns our shaking hearts to the reality that our lives are not to be ruled by our circumstances, but by God. Our circumstances, our trials, are not the center of our life. God is. And in a similar situation in the book of Job, we read that after learning that he had lost literally everything, his livestock, his servants, and his children, all in a single day, Job tore his robe, shaved his head bald, fell to the ground, and worshipped, saying, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so like Job, like David, we must choose to worship God. Not just when times are good, but also when times are bad. Why? Because regardless of the circumstances, God is the center of our lives. Not our struggles. God is. And our hearts need to be realigned to that reality each and every day, and especially in troubled times. And so when we worship, we soon discover that though we may be overwhelmed, God is not. Though we may be powerless, God is still all-powerful. And though we may feel like we are suffocating, God's Spirit breathes new life into our souls. Story is told from a number of years ago where the world watched as news coverage tracked this this story of three gray whales who had been discovered trapped by a thick ice pack off of Point Barrow, Alaska. And there, trapped by this ice, unable to get a breath because of the the tight ice pack above them, they began to bash up against the ice, trying to break through, and they weren't able to. And so they were discovered there, floating, battered and bloody, 
trapped beneath the ice, gasping for breath at this tiny little hole. And so here they were with their only hope to somehow make it the five miles past this ice pack out into the open sea. And so would-be rescuers thought, how could we do this? How could we rescue these three whales? And so they came up with the idea to begin cutting a string of air holes about 20 yards apart in this thick ice in the direction of the open sea. And then for eight arduous days, they would coax these injured and oxygen-deprived whales from one air hole to the next, to the next, and to the next, mile after mile. And sadly, somewhere along this journey, one of those trio of whales vanished and was presumed dead. But then, the remaining two whales, with the final help of a Russian icebreaker ship, those final two whales, dubbed Putu and Siku, swam to freedom in the open ocean. And now, in a similar way, worship is like those string of air holes that the Lord provides for his people. For Our spirits can be battered, bruised, oxygen-deprived in this broken world that seems to be frozen over by sin. But our spirits rise for that breath of fresh air when we worship the Lord. And so when you feel overwhelmed by your troubles, by your worries, by your fears for the future, learn from David and worship first. It is life for your soul. And now thirdly, we see that David asked God for directions. David asked God for direction. After David spent this time worshiping God, finding encouragement and strength, listen to what he does next, verse 7. David said to Abathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. Then David asked the Lord, Should I chase the people who took our families? Will I catch them? The Lord answered, Chase them. You will catch them and you will succeed in saving your families. Now, the priest wore the ephod, which was the holy vest. It had all of the jewels representing the 12 tribes of Israel on it. And and this ephod in this time um, very clearly represented the presence of God. And so by David asking the high priest for it, he was symbolically going into the presence of God. And then in some way that we no longer understand... Abathar the priest would then have used the vest to determine God's will, his reply to David's request. Now, as New Testament believers, we have no idea just how blessed we are to have the Holy Spirit, not only with us, but in us. As we were just told, we are the sanctuary of the the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But in the Old Testament, this was not the case. And so... Thankfully, we no longer need the ephod or or the inner sanctuary of the temple to enter into God's presence. He is with us all the time and everywhere. And so, we can ask for his directions and guidance wherever we are and be confident that he will hear us and that he will direct us. But like David, the key thing is still the same. We have to ask. We have to ask. David could have easily allowed his emotions to dictate his actions. As I've said, he could have raced off wildly to try to rescue his family without seeking the Lord. But though he may have felt like doing that, David had the wisdom to worship 
and then consult with the Lord before taking any further action. And the fact is, I think that we just sometimes plain old forget to ask God for his direction. But of paramount importance, we need to know what God wants before we act. We need to know what God wants, not what our human nature wants, not what others want, but what God wants. And if you want to encourage yourself in God, you need to ask him for direction before taking further action, just as David did. And now on to our fourth principle from David's example. Fourthly, David treated his men with grace. Now, you might hear that and be wondering, what does that have to do with encouraging yourself in the Lord? Well, a lot of times when life gets hard and we're, we're tempted to do what David's troops did and we find someone else to blame and we, we put all of our pain and our frustration onto them. You know that old saying, misery loves company. And so here you are in this pit of despair and instead of spending time with God and asking him what to do, you do what hurt people tend to do. You hurt someone else. You lash out. You know what the most dangerous animal in the world is? You might fill in the blank right here, but it's an injured animal. An injured animal. I still remember the day that our family dog, you know, my best friend, you know, we did everything together. And yet I remember that day that our family dog came into the yard with a mouthful of porcupine quills. And they're just sticking out in all directions and the dog's in pain, of course. And naturally, I wanted to help her. But as I went up to her, I remember my uncle very sharply saying to me, stay away. She might not mean to, but she could hurt you. Have you ever lashed out at someone simply because you were hurting? David could have easily done that to his men. He could have lectured them and shamed them and sought to punish them for even whispering that they would stone him. But he doesn't. When they headed out to hunt down the Amalekites that had kidnapped their families, along the way we read that 200 men of his army of 600 became so tired that they couldn't go any further. And so David let them rest. He didn't browbeat them into riding on. He he told them, you know what, you stay back with the stuff, guard the stuff, and me and the other 400, we will go on. And so finally, when they return after their victory and with the spoils of battle, The other 400 were saying to David, hey, those 200 guys, they didn't even fight. They don't deserve any of the spoils. But guess what David does? David says, no, we will divide up the spoils evenly between all 600, including the 200 who didn't even fight. Now imagine what kind of gratitude and loyalty that instilled in all of David's men towards him. He treated them graciously. You see, dark days can be a real test of our character and of our behavior toward others, especially those closest to us. In this time of self-quarantines, school closures, and being instructed to just stay home, spouses and families are suddenly finding themselves at home with each other for prolonged periods of time. And you're just not getting those natural breaks from each other that are built into our regular rhythms of life. Not to mention, for a lot of people, that means learning how to teach your children and to do school together. New situations for many. And all of these things can raise tensions. 
and our frustrations and our, and our patience begins to, to just run out. But let me encourage you, don't take out your anger and frustration on your family or on others. Instead, bring your pain, your anger, your frustration, your despair, bring it to God, pour it out to him. Because not only can he handle it, but he can lift them from you. And he can strengthen you with the ability, with the grace to treat others graciously, just as God treats us so graciously. David does that with his men. Even when they didn't deserve it, David treated them with grace. And so in conclusion, let's learn from David's example. Let's learn to take responsibility for our own encouragement in the Lord. Let's learn to be a worshiper first. Let's learn to ask God for directions before we take action. And finally, let's learn to treat others with grace. For as we do these things, God can take even our darkest night and put a new song of encouragement and strength into our souls to face the days ahead. It was during the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century when German pastor by the name of Paul Gerhard and his family were forced to flee from their home. And so one night as they stayed in a small village inn, homeless, destitute, and afraid, there his wife broke down and cried openly in despair. And so attempting to comfort her, Gerhard reminded her of all of the scripture promises about God's provisions and keeping. And then going out to the garden to be alone, there he too broke down and wept. He felt he had come to his darkest hour. In tears, he lifted his spirit to the Lord through worship and prayer. And as Gerhardt felt the burden suddenly lift, he sensed anew the Lord's presence there with him in the dead of night. And so taking up his pen, he began to write and write and write, and these are the words that came forth. It became a hymn entitled, Give to the Winds Thy Fears. It has brought comfort to many, and it goes, Give to the winds thy fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou on his time, so shall the night soon end in joyous day. And so too, it is often in our darkest times that God makes his presence known most clearly. He uses our sufferings and our troubles to show us that he is our only true source of encouragement and strength. And when we see this truth, like Pastor Gerhardt, God will give you a song in the night and new strength for the day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it brings this incredible truth to us today, that in you, regardless of the circumstances, like David, no matter how dark the hour, in you there is always a source of encouragement and a source of strength. In you, when we lift our hearts in worship, in you there is a song, a new song, that can be played in our hearts, written by your finger, even in the dead of night. And it is that song that enables us to face the day ahead, regardless of the challenges. 
And so I pray, Lord, for each one listening today that you would write this song in each one of our hearts. Strengthen and encourage us, Lord, that we could face the days ahead with hope and with renewed confidence and courage that though this world is troubled, we can take heart because you have already overcome this world. Your Holy Spirit is living and active within each one of us through faith and that you, O Lord, are leading us into brighter days ahead. And so I pray that you would encourage each one with this word today. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. May God bless you. Go in peace and have a very good week ahead.